What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for the athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Calm. Uh, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And it is uh, it is Canucks talk, Drancer, which means uh, we get to take a break from the gripping but also extremely tiresome uh, Jays versus Mariners debate that is, that is sweeping across Vancouver oh, and the Vancouver Sports endless, Radio. I have endless time for it. Sorry, that's a debate I would love to have. If this were not a Canucks show, yes. I have an endless amount of time for those very loud segment of Mariners fans that pretend there's a bunch of them. That pretend they're not the only person in their friend group that isn't that is a Mariners fan in a wide swath of Blue Jays fans in this city. But that's okay. We don't have to talk about No. The we, loud vocal minority. We don't have to uh, po- poke our finger in the eye of, uh, of Mariners fans no. right now. Uh, as it's a couple of Jays fans enjoy, here. Enjoy your once in 20 years glow up. You know? There you go. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We are one week, one week away from the beginning of the regular season. This time next week, the Canucks will be in Edmonton preparing for Game 1 of 82 today. They are preparing to host Edmonton in Abbotsford. Game time is at 7. Not on TV today, but we will be broadcasting it here on 650. Batcher and Randeep have the call. Uh, and Sat and Dan Riccio are live in Abbotsford uh, with pregame coverage beginning at 6. Canucks have already skated today. They did an early game day skate at UBC. Now they're making the long trek out uh, to Abbotsford. So hopefully there's no traffic uh, in their way as they go out to the to Abbotsford for the game tonight so we've got fresh lines to dig into fresh defense pairings power play units all of that to dig into drance and some pretty interesting nuggets from how bruce boudreau had the canucks skating in preparation for the game tonight right because we're all expecting this to be you know the quote-unquote dress rehearsal for this to look if not identical to what we see in game one something very very close maybe a couple of spots here or there still up for grabs so i'll run through the forwards first Real quick, so I just want to get this in. Everyone on waivers yesterday cleared. Reports coming out from all the uh, waiver observers among the NHL insiders. This is important for the Canucks because I do think there was, you know, something like a one in four shot of Colin Delia being claimed. Just the way that the goalie market works, right? Magnus Helberg got claimed. Johansson got claimed, right? Like, goalies get claimed sometimes. Sometimes there's quiet injuries you don't Mm -hmm. know about around the league. Delia was one that I was sort of monitoring, not with trepidation or or the expectation that he'd get claimed, but with the understanding that when goaltenders are involved, unlike in the NHL playoffs, anything can happen. So, So Delia's cleared. That's good news for the Canucks. Yeah, and we had a question even come in. What time will we know if Colin Delia has cleared? We know. We know as of right now that everyone cleared yesterday, so he remains with the Canucks organization, and he will go down to the Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, but getting back to the lines from practice today. So on the, your first line, no surprise here, JT Miller centering Tanner Pearson and Connor Garland. After that, Bo Horvat. Skating between Dakota Joshua, which is interesting, and Niels Hoaglander, which I think is interesting as well. Elias Pettersson with Vasily Podkolzin and Andre Kuzmenko. And then Niels Amans uh, centering the fourth line between Jason Dickinson and Curtis Lazar. Obviously, all three of those players, uh, natural centers on that fourth line. Sheldon Dries and Linus Carlson, the extras there. So, 
there's a lot that that sticks out to me, right, from uh, looking at those lines as uh, again as they skated at UBC today, and as they will likely line up tonight against the Oilers. I mean. First of all, one thing that I guess looks surprising at first glance, but maybe shouldn't be when you stop to think about it a little bit, is Dakota Joshua jumping up to play in a middle six role alongside Bo Horvat and Niels Hoaglander. And when you just kind of start to do the math, right, if Mikheyev and Besser are both injured and they're both going to miss regular season games, which certainly looks to be the case right now, you're going to have to have somebody who you don't necessarily think of as a top nine forward step up and play in that top nine, and Dakota Joshua, you know, makes as much sense as Curtis Lazar or certainly Jason Dickinson, so he gets the kind of audition in that spot. And the other thing that's interesting about that line, I think, is Niels Hoaglander getting a chance to play with Bo Horvat after we've had some questions about what's his usage going to look like, how much does Bruce Boudreaux really trust uh, Niels Hoaglander, how much does he want to play him. Getting to ride shotgun with Bo Horvat gives him at least an opportunity, I think, to earn some of that trust back. So... Let's start with the big picture and then we'll zoom in on sure. some of those topics, okay? So the way that I look at this, this is mostly an opening night quality lineup, but there's a couple things that are like last chance saloon for some players to make one final impression, one final case, a closing argument as it were, for their role or their inclusion on the 23 man. That's sort of how I look at this roster. So Joshua's obviously been a standout, and the Canucks are going to have a need in the top nine. I think, for the most part, we've seen Curtis Lazar get those opportunities to this point, but Lazar played pretty well with Dickinson. So maybe uh, the other night, I mean, in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. there's a desire like, hey, look, that's a pretty safe defensive fourth line. We kind of like how those two complement each other, right? We can put a young centerman between them whose defensive awareness is solid, and we have two guys that know what to do to sort of protect him. If we're going to develop this kid, this is a good environment to do it. So why don't we see what Joshua looks like in a top nine role, right? I wouldn't say that he's got the lead to play in that spot over Lazar. Like, I think that's a pretty high leverage spot at the end of the day. But clearly it's something they want to get one last look at Mm -hmm. before making their final decisions. Similarly, Neil Zaman sort of gets that shot, right? Sheldon Dries, you kind of know what he is, right? If you, if Sheldon Dries is your fourth line winger, you're going to get speed, you're going to get a fair bit of skill, you're going to get a guy who can con- contribute on your power play, right? Like, that's really good, really useful, uh, works hard, right? Reliable. And cap hits almost 200K cheaper than the likes of Oman and Carlson. That could loom large here, depending on the injury status. Like, I, I've been trying to model this. I can't get the Canucks above 21 men to open the season if all of Besser, Mikhaev, and Dermot are on normal IR. Right. Stay if they stay on the roster. Like I can't figure out how to capture as much furlough space as I need to get more than 21 players on the roster if those guys stay on regular IR. Plus, I've got Dowling there, and Phil DiGiuseppe is an additional complication now because he didn't play the other day, didn't skate today. So that's another 750K that you're going to have to account for somewhere as this situation gets muddier and muddier with the Canucks up to something like, what, 12 12 million in unusable space with uncertain timelines right before the season. Not easy for Emily Castingay and company. All right. On defense, I read positive vibes into Jack Rathbone not playing today. Okay, that was my biggest question. Yeah. So uh, the pairs on the blue line, it's Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen, OEL and Tucker Pullman, uh, Kyle Burrows and Tyler Myers, and then the kind of fourth pair, Christian Willannon and Jack Rathbone. And I saw that, and it wasn't panic. 
but it was what does that mean for Jack Rappel? And that was kind of one of my biggest questions looking at this lineup. My get, I mean, my assumption is is that it's a positive. My assumption is is that Rathbone's kind of shown mm-hmm. what he needs to show. They know that they kind of need his speed. They know that he can help them. He's not getting sent down. I mean, he is going to probably be reassigned just for cap reasons. Right. Because he's waiver exempt and can go up and down easy, and he's got no bonuses. But he's he's going to be on the opening night. In, he's going to be on the opening night, the opening night roster, even if he's not on the opening day lineup. Okay, so anyway, he's going to be in, I think. And I think the teams recognize that, and they don't need to see more. They know what Jack Rathbone is. They've played him a ton through the preseason. He'll play in the finale when they go into dress rehearsal mode. They don't need to have another look at him. What they do kind of need to figure out here is Tucker Pullman versus Kyle Burrows, right? Because you also kind of know what you have in Willannon. You're comfortable with that as, as injury insurance, right? Tucker Pullman hasn't played that great, right? Like, he hasn't played that well. No. Kyle Burrows has played very well. But, you know, it would be helpful to know, can Kyle Burrows play the left side? Can Kyle Burrows help us there, right? As you make the final determination, are we going to risk him on waivers? Are we going to make sure that he, are we going to reassign a guy like a Tucker Pullman who's got a significant contract and and the message that that sends the league in favor of this guy? Like, can he help us on the left side? Should it come to it? Let's take one more look at it before we make our decision. Let's take one more look at Tucker Pullman in a more defensive role before we make our decision there, right? Let's have a really solid grounding of exactly what we want to do here. Um, that to me is what this reads. Like they have additional questions they want to see answered from Burroughs, specifically playing the right side. You've got Pullman playing the right side. Can he hack it if you give him a really good defensive partner? And this is going to be a tough assignment because the Edmonton Oilers are Mm -hmm. bringing a pretty good team. It's not the same lineup from Edmonton that we saw in the previous game, but still Connor McDavid, uh, Holloway, who made such a good impression, Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jesse Pugliarvi. So certainly plenty of offensive talent still for the Edmonton Oilers that they're bringing to Abbotsford. And yeah, the Pullman pairing with OEL really stands out to me as well. It feels like a very high stakes opportunity for Tucker Pullman, right? That he really needs to show, okay, I've got an experienced veteran partner now. He played really well in a shutdown role last year. I need to show that I can be a part of that with him in order to kind of stake a claim to my spot in the lineup because we all know it would be very easy just to slide Myers up into that spot. And then all of a sudden, if you're Tucker Pullman, you're twisting in the wind a little bit without an obvious niche on the roster. So this feels like a big, big moment for Tucker Pullman. Also, every cent matters, right? Like, when you have as many injured bodies as the Canucks have with timelines that we don't have a good sense of, but which the team surely has a better one of, but nonetheless, with some uncertain timelines and uncertainty all around, you know, the fact that Tucker Pullman below the line in the American League, right, costs an additional, you know, nearly 425 k more than Kyle Burrows and Christian Willannon, like, that could matter. That could matter a lot for this team as they head out on a five-game road trip to open their season with a ton of injured bodies. Um, so, the Pullman opportunity, I agree with you. That's sort of the biggest, the highest leverage sort of look that the team is taking at any player. It looks to me like that's that's how I read it anyway. This is a really high leverage game. A big game. A meaningful game in October <laughs> for Tucker Pullman tonight. And for and for Kyle Burrows too, right? You got to leave no doubt and be that depth guy, be that depth option. 
the ability, the versatility that he has an opportunity to show tonight is going to matter. Well, and also, you know, for Kyle Burrows, uh, remember on day one of training camp in Whistler, he was kind of on the outside of the top eight looking in, right? Oh, yeah. It was Danny DeKaiser skating with Tyler Myers. I believe Burrows was with Christian Willannon, but Willannon hadn't obviously had a chance to really step up and impress like he's done yet. So it looked very much like an AHL pairing. And now, you know, he finds himself second to last preseason game of the year. He's skating with a regular in Tyler Myers. And you just look at how things might end up if Tucker Pullman doesn't seize the opportunity today. Again, it would be pretty easy to go Hugh Shen, OEL Myers, and then Burroughs Rathbone as your as your, uh, as your your third pairing, right, for opening night. That's a totally plausible scenario. I think that speaks, one, I mean, obviously it speaks to the, the less than ideal depth the Canucks have uh, on the blue line, but I think it also speaks to Kyle's, Kyle Burroughs' ability and just his the way he's been able to to play well, show up, and demand a bigger role on yeah. this team. And the way he's a throwback player. He just sort of goes about the ice looking for opportunities to do tough guy things despite <laughs> being undersized, right? And he's safe defensively, right? Him and Willannon were the standout performers by a lot from that game on Monday, right? There was no one else close, really. They were the best players on the Canucks. They actually did a really good job against the McDavid and Dreisaitl lines, um, you know, I think they've earned, both of them have earned a long look. Will Annan's being rewarded by the fact that he's still around. Uh, I'd be surprised if he gets in another game, but it could happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think uh, I think Burroughs has given himself every opportunity to be the sort of player where when the team's discussing it ahead of, you know, sort of the final day for waivers, right? Which is Monday, right? Monday on waivers, you got to be on waivers on Monday or... You're going to have to be if you're a player like Kyle Burrows on the opening day yep. roster, right? So at 11 a.m. Monday, you'll actually know whether Kyle Burrows has made the team, not not on Tuesday when the NHL announces opening day lineups for every team. Um, when that discussion is happening Sunday night or over the weekend, right, over Turkey, <laughs> Canucks management meeting for Friendsgiving to discuss their final cuts, um, you know, they're going to think about it. Like, are we willing to lose a tough right-handed defenseman? with a fair bit of NHL experience who brings this element to our team. And now, you know, he has, has a chance to show them if he can play the left side. That's a, that's a hard one to say, yeah, we're willing to take that risk to. He's done everything he can to make Patrick Alvin and company squeamish. In making that final, I'm uh, I'm just imagining now, you know, families across British Columbia on on Sunday on Thanksgiving, just having heated debates about Kyle Burrows and where he fits into the the Canucks blue line. <laughs> just try to be be civil when you're having those debates you, at the uh, Thanksgiving know, table. You know that's happening. There's some uncle who's got to take. I was gonna say, what's the most like obnoxious uncle take you could have about the Canucks this Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? That, that, that makes all the younger people at the table tear their hair out because the uncle is just completely on another oh, it's, uh, on another wavelength. It's, they didn't make any changes. Jim Benning hasn't got enough credit for the work that he did <laughs> constructing this roster. That's the take. That's the take, for sure. I was going to say they need uh, they need more toughness in the lineup. They need, they need a fighter in the lineup. That seems like an obnoxious uncle Thanksgiving take. Yeah, you're right. That me. is an obnoxious uncle But that's just kind of take. universal. That's not that's not unique to the Canucks. But it's also, and it's also not, like, totally wrong. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> there you go. I don't have a problem with that. Drancer take, says the Canucks need a fighter in the lineup. Well, I mean, they're going to have Joshua. They're in fact, yeah. they're giving Joshua a top nine look today, so that tells you that speaks volumes. Well, uh, on the defense, okay. just the one other thing I want to talk about because remember there was that tidbit when Bruce Boudreau said, you know, the Quinn Hughes on the right side thing, which right now is not happening because he's he's on the left side with uh, with Luke Shen, but the Hughes on the right side experiment could depend on how Tucker Pullman plays. 
And I'm curious if that's still the case or regardless of what happens with Poolman, Hughes is kind of stapled to that left side now and likely opening the season with Luke Shen. I don't know. We're not going to get a sense of that tonight, but when I'm just looking at the names they have available, we don't know what Travis Dermott's status is. I don't know if that even is still a possibility, right? Because unless you want to play Burroughs on the left side or unless you get Christian Willannon into the lineup, uh, I don't know if you have enough bodies on the left side then to make it work. But it's just another thing that I'm curious about. And, and Pullman's performance could potentially uh, bring that back into the spotlight, if depending on how things go. It's an interesting, it's an interesting point. I think Hughes is just going to play the left side. That's my that's that my where it's going. In. That's my read. Yep. I want to note quickly, by the way, while we're in the studio on television, this is great radio talking about what's on television. But there's the NHL's best saves. It's counting down the NHL's best saves, and I'm not paying close attention to it because we're doing the show. Yes. But every time I look back up, it's another Thatcher Demko <laughs> save. Like I swear, this guy has like 35 percent coverage in this in this um in this group of saves. It's incredible. He he was good last year. Uh, this guy, he was <laughs> hot ex- take. extraordinarily hot take. good. That's extraordinarily Demko. very good. good. Last year. Yeah. Uh, this this somebody texts in. My uncle will sometimes suggest signing retired tough guys. <laughs> oh, like, I like that. Is John Scott still in the league? <laughs> <laughs> he could interview Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that. I like that's a good one. That's a good one. That's um, a good one for sure. That's a good one. And another one says the issue isn't the Canucks fan at the table. It's the one uncle that's an insufferable Leafs fan at oh, the yeah. table. Yeah. Well, I so I used to do Thanksgiving dinners with my wife's family in the suburbs of of you know like Niagara Falls, sure. right? So. Um, you know, the outlying areas of, of Toronto where hockey is life and death and all her brothers played and played pretty high level. And um, their takes, like, we had just the biggest argument. I remember it was, like, my second Thanksgiving there. And uh, and it was, like, right after Don Cherry had kissed Nazem Kadri. <laughs> do you remember this? I do Nazem Kadri, that. Nazem Kadri had, like, a PDO of, like, 145, so he was plus point per game. And, like, Gretzky comparisons were getting thrown around. And I was like, I like him as a player, but you guys are ridiculous. He's not even a star. <laughs> like, he's a good center. Stop oh my it. Goodness. And, and And it was, like... Probably took up like half an hour, like you know, like like Laura being like, or my wife being like, you didn't have to ruin dinner, and I'm like, they were comparing Kadri to Gretzky. I couldn't let that stand. You want me to just walk away from that? Are you nuts? <laughs> There's no chance. There was never uh, any chance that, that I could walk away from that. Too too good. Yeah. Uh, Kurt from Ladner says Thanksgiving uncle take would be something along the lines of uh, PD being a weak skinny Swede. Oh <laughs> wow! And Hughes and Rathbone are too small to be D men. Wow, etc. I yeah, love that's, that. That's a good one. That's I a love very that. good one. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> I agree with that. Okay, the, the Canucks never win the cup because they don't have any hard yeah. Canadian players. Yes, for sure. That's such a bad uncle. Take. Absolutely. I Love keep, it. keep sending in your obnoxious uh, Canucks <laughs> uncle takes because Canuck, I'm enjoying them very Canuck's much. Canucks Thanksgiving uncle takes. Yeah. This is not something we planned. But no, it's it great. really isn't. It came up organically. I love but it's it. Very good. Keep texting them at six fifty, six fifty. But let's talk about. We talked about the defense, and I think there's some really interesting things to watch on the defense. And you know, I I am glad for you to reassure me a little bit on the Jack Rathbone front because I was just a little concerned when well, I saw sorry, him skating I, that's, at that point. That's there. not me reporting. Oh it. no, that's I know. what I, I know. read into yeah, it. But I, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that perspective. I, I didn't have I, time to work the phones. After the lineup got seen and before we got on air. I but. still just look at it and think there's no way, there's no way their best six defenseman doesn't include Jack Rathbone. That's still my position. They need him. They yeah. like there's a recognition that they need his speed, they need his puck moving ability. He's done nothing but earn that opportunity. He played well in Seattle. Like this one's I think this one's open shut. I think Jack Rathbone's in the opening night lineup, and I think that'll your your any fears will be allayed by Friday when he's you know on that third pair on the left side. Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, at the forward 
That's uh, my prediction. The, the forward setup. So, as again, just to run through them, Miller with Pearson and Garland, Horvat with Dakota Joshua and Niels Hoaglander, Patterson, Pod Colson, and Kuzmenko, which I, I think a lot of fans will be very, very happy to see that trio and, together. And I know Batch is really disciplined about making sure that guys are on their proper wings. Mm-hmm. So it's Kuzmenko and Pod Colson on their strong sides. Yes. Something we haven't really seen. Like, we haven't seen Kuzmenko play his strong side yet in preseason. Wonder if that's a little bit of an experiment just to give Canucks coaches a sense of what that looks like in game action. Um, you know, I think Kuzmenko and Pedersen's as locked in as, as any combo on this roster with the possible exception of Pearson and Miller. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think they're probably a little bit of experimentation there. Yeah, and then uh, Niels Amon centering Jason Dickinson and Curtis Lazar on the fourth line. So what what stands out to you the most just well, looking at that setup? It's yeah. Joshua. And and I mean it's it's the Joshua Horvat Hoaglander line for a couple of reasons. First of all, third in the pecking order, clearly, right? Like whether they take line rushes second or third, you know that's the third line. Okay? Yes. There's obviously something to read into that in terms of Bo Horvat's overall status with the club. So that's sort of one thing you take away from it is like, hmm. And and Bo again, Horvat, clearly this team's third li- third choice center. And again, Bo Horvat getting just kind of what's left in terms of wingers, right? How many times have we seen that in his career here, right? It's like, okay, sorry, Horvat, but you're going to have to carry the mail on this line. We don't necessarily love we, – we like these players. It's not ideal, but we're sticking them with you. Go make something well, out of and it. The sense, and the sense that the organization continues to choose Miller over Horvat, right? Which is a sense that I think everyone had when they saw – like that was the first knee-jerk reaction that a lot of fans had. And I don't think anything we've seen since have has diminished that sense, right? And, and you know, I'm sure Horvat feels the same, right? Like, he, he, how could you not in a professional setting? We've all been there, right? Mm-hmm. That's the most relatable thing that's happened to a Canucks player in years, right? We've all been there where you sort of can read the writing on the wall. Joshua getting that chance obviously looms large. He's played really well. He's played really well, though, for me because he's done things that no other Canucks forward can do. Mm-hmm. At no point have I thought, this guy should play in the top nine. You know, at no point have I seen any sort of level of puck skills or finishing skill that suggests to me that he's a good fit as, like, a guy on a line with Hoaglander and Horvat. Like, I think Lazar will end up there because I think Lazar is materially better with the puck, but... You know, it's a good it's a good shot and one that Josh was earned by really leaving no doubt that he's going to be on this team and should be on this and team. And I wonder if Curtis Lazar sticking on that fourth line has to do with one pairing him with Jason Dickinson, as you talked yep. about, sheltering Neil Zaman, who's centering that line a little bit. Again, the extras were Sheldon Dries and Linus Carlson. So again, you know, with McKayev and Besser out, one of Amon, Dries, and Carlson is going to slide into the lineup. And based on what Bruce Boudreau didn't say much today after practice, but one thing he did say was we need to play with a lot more speed. And Dries can bring that, but we've also seen how rangy and and especially at his size, Neil Zaman is and how what an attribute his skating is. So I'm not surprised based on those comments from uh, Bruce Boudreau to see Amon get that chance, certainly over Linus Carlson, right, who we've seen the pace is a, a consistent issue with him. Yeah, although I thought he's pl- he'd played well. I, I think this is obviously probably a, a not a great sign for Linus Carlson overall, right? It's not a great sign. No. But, you know, I think the pressure is still on Niels Hoaglander, right? And, and this is the third thing to take away from this line because there's a storyline for every guy on it. Niels Hoaglander continues to be on the third line, right? I mean... Pod Colson has played consistently with Horvat and Garland 
until the Besser injury, mm-hmm. at which point Garland got elevated and Hor- and Pod Colson continued to play with Horvat, right? In games that they've appeared where Horvat didn't, like on Monday, Pod Colson played with Garland. We really have not seen him play with Pedersen at any point in training camp. We've seen Hoaglander play there, but it's like, again, once again, with an opportunity to plug Hoaglander into an obvious spot, you know, in, in um, place of Ilya Mikhaev, right, where Mikhaev right. started training camp. He, the Canucks are like, yeah, Pod Colson, right? Once again, with a chance to play Hoaglander versus another guy, Bruce Boudreaux picked the other guy. And that's you know, remains sort of the overarching thing that I can't escape in analyzing Hoaglander and what to expect from him this season. I don't know what else he could do, but to this point, it just feels like he's always choice number two. For Vancouver's head coach. And the other thing that stands out to me about that configuration is, okay, obviously Miller and Pearson have been together the entire time. Garland has started to play with them since Besser went out. Pedersen and Kuzmenko have been together since day one. Now they have Pod Colson. Horvat, Joshua, and Hoaglander, they haven't played together. That's a whole new trio. There's no, okay, well, at least we have this duo who's worked together now. Obviously, Hoaglander played with Horvat a lot in his rookie year a couple of years ago, so it's not as if they've never worked together. But it is interesting at this late stage, and, you know, obviously this is because of injuries and and, and other things, but to see those three guys who have not really skated together at all uh, this preseason asked to go together on a line now in the second-to-last preseason Game 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of good thoughts coming in. Keep sending in your questions, your obnoxious Canucks uncle takes as well that you're dreading hearing at Thanksgiving uh, this weekend. We will continue to look ahead tonight to tonight's preseason game in Abbotsford. The Canucks hosting the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, lots more coming up. Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. You're home with the Canucks on a Canucks game day. They'll host the Edmonton Oilers in Abbotsford tonight at 7. Brendan Batchelor and Randy Janda on the call here on 650. Sat and Dan live in Abbotsford uh, for Canucks Central and pregame coverage beginning at 6. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we've got uh, some some good uh, obnoxious uncle takes coming in in the inbox transfer. I like this one, unsigned. Uncle take. Tyler Myers is our bona fide number one D as he's a great, big, strong Canadian boy. A great the phrase a great big strong Canadian boy really so good. really cracks me up so good really cracks dead me on. up dead on and I like this one from Clayton he I, says, I'm giving that ten turkeys <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna grade these out of turkeys that's a ten that's a ten turkey uncle take I like this one from Clayton who says uh, there's this guy I work with and when Petey was struggling last year he was like man the Canucks have been so bad they got to trade Pedersen man they're so weak a classic uncle take and to that I say Clayton. You got to turn him on to Canucks talk, man. We were we were ride or die with Elias Pettersson uh, last year when he was struggling, and that turned out to be one of our better collective takes, Strancer, as he torched the league for the rest of the season. Yeah, that was an easy one. It was. It was a layup. <laughs> Absolute layup. Uh, 650-650, keep sending your thoughts in. And uh, and really, I mean, I, I challenge all of you to <laughs> turn turn a family member this Thanksgiving weekend onto the Canucks talk podcast uh, uh, if, they're, uh, if they're spouting some bad Canucks takes. At you. Again, the game goes tonight in Edmonton. Canucks still looking for their first win 
of the preseason. And yeah, not a full-strength Oilers lineup, but again, the likes of Connor McDavid, Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Holloway, Jesse Pugliarvi, uh, on the back end, Darnell Nurse, Cody Cece, so plenty of talent that the Oilers are sending to Abbotsford <laughs> yes, for this one. Cody Cece. <laughs> I actually like He's Cody a regular. Cece. He's good. He's He had a really good playoffs. I'm just surprised that you went with him who, over who Evan you, Bouchard. Who do you something. think is better, Cody Cece or Connor McDavid? <laughs> who do you think is going to be more impactful for the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah, I don't know why I listed him. But <laughs> it's, just, it's just an NHL They're regular. sending it. Matthias Janmark, so much talent so on much the Edmonton talent. side. So much talent. Um, but, you know, we the theme of this week has been – how much do preseason results matter? What are we looking for in the preseason? And obviously that's going to continue tonight. And I think just purely on a vi- hold on, purely yeah. on a vibes based scale would be nice for the team to get a win at some point here. Would, oh, would I- feel pretty good for them, I'm sure, and for fans to see the team get a win. You don't want to win too much. You don't want to win too little. That's my view of preseason. You want to be like in the herd, safely amongst the herd, right? If you're winning every game, right, that means you're taking preseason too seriously. If you're losing every game, that's probably a bad sign, too. You want to be in the middle. But at the end of the day, I don't care if they win or lose. I just want to see them play well. Like, I just want to see them look like they know what they're doing defensively as a group. That's it. That's my only thing I'm looking for. That's the only thing I want to see tonight. And, you know, it's been interesting to watch, like, there's become this meme now that, like, people are worried about the preseason. It's like, no one's worried about the preseason so much as we're watching the same thing here we're all watching the same thing here and just look just look organized as a group just look a little bit organized that's all we want to see it's an interesting one for me it's a low bar because i obviously you first and foremost you want to see the defensive improvements and as you said you want to see them look organized look settled you know not be as you said the other day systematically disorganized but actually feel like there's a cohesiveness to what you're doing especially in your own end having said that as much as I would love to see that, it would be great to see that improvement. Even if they do play really well defensively tonight, I'm still going to be pretty skeptical, right? It's not as if it's going to erase all of those concerns that I have going into the season. So I don't want to say it's a kind of a, a can't win situation because it's obviously better to play well than not to play well. But it's not as if, you know, if they play, if they shut the Oilers out and don't give them any grade A chances tomorrow or tonight, it's not as if I'm going to come on the air tomorrow and say, you know, hey, this team is really good defensively, actually. There's still going to be major questions no, that they I'm, have to answer. I'm at least going to say that they answered one of yep. our questions, which is can they do it? You know, I'll at least be like, okay, we saw them do it now. You know? That's a good point. And, and I mean, there were some games, one game that looms large in the imagination of the coaching staff and Canucks players because they both brought it up sort of independently over the course of the offseason or in conversations I've had. But that game against the Avalanche right after the trade deadline, right? Travis Dermott's first game, Yaroslav Halak starts in Colorado. The team had sort of had a dispiriting loss to end the home. It was actually a Really brutal homestand. You trade Tyler Mott. You claim Brad Richardson, right? Looks like the team's waving a bit of a white flag. You've got this brutal back-to-back Colorado-Minnesota and then that game against Dallas, and you really have to win. You have to get three or four points in those games to even make that game on Friday matter. And they go into Colorado, and they absolutely lock down the Colorado Avalanche, right? Like, by far their best game of the year. Now, that game has, I think, loomed large. As As, you know, when JT Miller says stuff like, We've shown we can beat anyone. He's thinking about that that performance, right? Bruce Boudreaux, similarly, when he talks about how he thinks the team can be good defensively, like, that's the performance he's thinking about. Now, that game looked 
unlike anything else the Canucks did all season, but it was a clean enough defensive effort that you could easily eat an egg off it, right? Like you could, you could eat lunch <laughs> off of that defensive performance. It was so clean. This team can do it. They just can't sustain it, or at least they haven't shown that they can sustain that level of play. I don't need to see that level tonight, but I just want to see something that's not, you know, Andre Burakovsky bludgeons through four defenders and gets a chance in all alone on Spencer Martin. Like, I just don't want to see seven or eight absolute grade A chances every period from a forward who's got like three steps on the closest defender. I, I you know, and and if I don't see that, or if I do see that again, I'm gonna be like, oh boy, like what are we doing here? You know, and and if we if I don't, I'm gonna say, okay, at least they. At least they care enough that they fixed it tonight, and we'll see what that means. Well, especially because they got to play Connor McDavid again in a week, right? In a game that actually counts in the standings, and Leon Draisaitl is going to be there as well. And yep. you know, you know, <laughs> if you are if you are not able to find some sort of defensive reliability and defensive consistency, there's a good chance you could get it exposed in a big way next Wednesday on national TV on the big opener uh, of the season, and that we keep coming back to it because the players made such a big deal about it. The coaches make such a big deal out of it. They have to find a way to get off to a good start this year, right? They That is absolutely imperative for this team. And, you know, for me, one of the other things, obviously the defensive issues are going to be front and center in the spotlight. But I'm also thinking of, okay, what else can they show that could potentially mitigate some of those defensive issues, right? That could allow them to still be competitive if, and it's, seems pretty much a certainty they're going to have at least some of those lingering defensive issues going into the regular season. And I'm going to be really curious to see what kind of chemistry those top three forward lines can build or can show in this game, right? Because we talked about, you know, Bruce Boudreaux before training camp said he wants to ideally would have his opening night lines together from day one. Wasn't able to do that because of injuries to Brock Besser and Ilya Mikheyev. So they've had to improvise. They've had to try some new things out. You know, we've got duos that have played together. Garland has been up on that top line for a little bit now, so they've had a little bit of a chance to work together. But this is not the scenario that Canucks could, the Canucks coaching staff was imagining. So can that forward group that's had to, you know, be juggled and has some some new players playing together, can they still find a way to be effective enough and offensively potent enough to outweigh some of what's going to go potentially wrong on the back end for the Canucks. And I'm really curious to see what we see from all three of those lines at the top of the lineup tonight. Absolutely. Uh, You know, especially that Miller line, you know, the Pearson Miller thing, they've been completely locked in with one another all, all sort Mm -hmm. of all through training camp, all through the preseason. And, you know, I have a lot of time for Tanner Pearson as like a reliable middle six guy. Um, You know, I tend to think that, that's a player you can generally replace more affordably than the extension they signed him to. And one other thing that I'd note here, and this is like probably one of my more negative takes, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to say it All anyway, right. which is, you know, you have this $56 million center, right? You have this forward group that's perceived to be a huge strength of the team. And you've got Tanner Pearson absolutely locked in on your top line. Does that square for everybody? Like, for our listeners, for you, like, does that make sense? Well, it certainly doesn't square for our listeners, because we get texts about it all the time, right? Why is Tanner Pearson stapled on line one, mm-hmm. right? Why isn't there any idea of dropping him down the lineup? And I think a lot of it comes back to the Niels Hoaglander thing, right? Whereas if 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 Niels Hoaglander had been able to make more of an impression on Bruce Boudreaux and kind of increase that confidence, that's another option you have to play farther up the lineup, and maybe that forces but he's never Tanner been, Pearson. He's never been a top liner. I mean... 
I think Niels Hoglander? Yeah, if you're expecting right. Niels Hoglander to be a top liner or Vasily Podkolzin to be a top liner or Andre Kuzmenko to be a top liner, like, your forward group's not that good. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not trying to – none of those guys are impact top of the lineup guys at this point in their careers. It's not fair to expect that Kuzmenko to be that level of performer in year one. It's not fair to expect Podkolzin or Hoglander to be the, that level of performer at the age of 21. You know, Tanner Pearson's not that guy. So, I, I mean, it just – at some point, at some point, I think there needs to be a recognition that in addition to some of the issues, like we talk about the depth, we talk about the defense, we talk about all these issues, mm-hmm. but also, you know, I don't think it's appropriate to miss the fact that like right now the Canucks playing pretty much their opening night quality lineup with, you know, granted a couple of injuries, right? Have a top nine that includes Dakota Joshua. Tanner Pearson on the top line, right? And a 21-year-old who's never really played tough minutes and and a 26-year-old rookie who lit up the K last year and has looked great, but nonetheless, you know, in their top six. Like, that's that's not strength of the team quality either. Am I missing something? Well, I think the thing with Pearson is the idea is if you have Miller and Besser – Right, who I think you would agree are top of the lineup quality players. 100%. It's and the, it's look good. It's the kind of lesser version of what we see, you know, when like even with the Leafs with Michael Bunting, right? Sure. You know what I mean? I think that's the theory. Now you could argue, well, it's not going to be nearly as effective as that. And obviously, you know, Matthews and Marners are in a totally different tier. That's totally fine. But I think that's the idea, right? Okay, we have Just, these two really good players, and then a guy that fits with them, who is not a first liner on his own, but can play with them and can help them be effective. Now. I agree with you that you'd love to upgrade on that. You'd love to have that third just legit on their own first line guy, right? There's no question about that. I also understand why Tanner Pearson is consistently there because they can function at a first line level with him part of that group. They've shown that, right? Even if he by himself is not a first line player. I think that's the theory anyway. Right. I mean, Michael Bunting, though, had like 58 five on five points. <laughs> like, come on. I, you know, I get it, but that's not... If that's the analogy, it's not a compelling one, right? Just the 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 divergence in production is massive. Yeah, but here's the thing for me is that Pearson, like the, like the, Besser's good. He's a top lineup piece, yeah. but he's not Mitch Marner. No, no, of course. And yeah, JT and Miller's not Austin Matthews. So and then and then Pearson's not bunting but either. So the like, thing why, for me why, is, that's not for the, me the comparison. But the thing for me is that Miller, Besser, and Pearson were really good when they played together. They were, they were, for right? sure. So that that's also what it comes down to is, okay, well, you you might not look at them in a vacuum as those types of players, right. but if for whatever reason it's working for you when you're out there, that, that that has some compelling evidence for me as well. I'm more talking about it from an analytical perspective in this. Like, not, not a numbers-based, but like, uh, let's think critically about this, right? Is if the strength of your team requires your, you know, if your strength of your team is f- up front, right? And that requires like a hope bet sure. projection on Pearson, right? A hope bet projection on a 26-year-old rookie, a, a hope bet projection on a 21-year-old who may or may not level up, and then a, a group five UFA in Dakota Joshua, right? Plus Bo Horvat and Niels Hoaglander, a guy who the coach doesn't seem to have a lot of rope for. Like that's not a strength of your team. That's average. That's like an average forward group. You know, and and you know, Mikhaev makes it look a little bit better, but I I rate him as a middle six guy. Besser's a, a top liner, but you know, again, like I just don't. Where are the overwhelming going to overpower every team in the league at the top of your lineup 
impact players that would justify looking at this forward group and saying, hey, that's a top five group in the league. Like, I just don't see it that way. Well, yeah, top five. That's really pushing it. Okay, but Wait. if your defense looks like this... Sure. You're going to kind of need... And that's, what, that's why I was saying. You at least need a top 10 forward group. <laughs> that's why I was saying. Do saying. you see a top 10 forward group? I think there? it could be top 10. Okay. For sure. Now, you you said the word hope. Yeah, there's uncertainty. There There's uncertainty, for sure, right? Like, a, hu- a huge part of it is going to be, what does Elias Pettersson do? A huge part of it is going to be, how does Andre Kuzmenko look? How does Vasily Podkolzin? There's a lot of upside on those bets. There's a lot of downside. Not necessarily with Pettersson, but you could argue with the other guys as well, right? So... I think top five is not realistic, but I think top ten is absolutely realistic. you got to be realistic about the downside, too. Mm-hmm. But I don't think just because, you know, Tanner Pearson is part of the mix in the top six that no, you can top write... Top line. Yeah, top line. Fair. That you can kind of write it off and say, well, it's just going to be average. Because I do think there's enough places with upside. Again, it doesn't mean it's a guarantee if it's going to happen, right? And if you're saying, oh, okay, they're locked in as, you know, the eighth best forward group in the NHL. Well, no, they're not. Of course. Of course they're not. I just see a but big there's gap. I just see a big gap between a team like a Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the first team I brought up. Col- <laughs> Colorado, Florida, Tampa Bay. You know, just think of those forwards, right? Edmonton, Toronto, right? Like, there's a huge gap between teams like that. And this, like, there just is. Yeah, and that's why, even if you think that they have the chance to be, like, a top 10 forward group, most people, most people even who think that, probably have them as a playoff bubble team, right? Right. You know what I mean? And I think that's in recognition. Including us, by the way. Yeah, in recognition of the gap that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If anyone, that's why you, that's why I don't take seriously the idea that they're going to be Stanley Cup contenders this year, because there is that gap. And you can, I, I do think the forward group is their strength. But yeah, it's not elite. It's not an elite forward group okay. in the NHL, right? right? So if people are saying that, then I completely agree with you. Yep. But, I, but I think it's also important to note, like, top 10 is good, but yes, there is a big difference between top 5 and top 10. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. the difference between 2 and 8 is going to be way bigger than the difference between 8 and 14. But I mean, I, I even think you get into, like, Boston. And it's like, you'd, you'd have to give the edge to Boston. They've got Pasternak, who's been a leading goal scorer in the league. They've got Bergeron. They've got Marchand, even if Marchand's going to be hurt for a bit. Like... You know, you'd have to give them the nod, too. You know, you'd have to give the nod probably to St. Louis, considering their absolute depth. You'd definitely have to give the nod to Calgary, right? Like, you go on down the list, I think you can get pretty easily to, you know, 10, 10 or 11 teams before you're being like, eh, yeah, I'd probably take Vancouver ahead of Ottawa. You yeah. know, like, that. I mean, I'd probably take Vancouver ahead of L.A., right? But, I mean, that's, I do think you get into that realm. And so, you know, I just think that's worth monitoring here as a check on our expectations, right? I I mean, we've been talking on this show all week about why we're sort of bullish on the Canucks to be mid-90s, right? Like, mid-90s. I'm I'm pretty confident that the Canucks are going to exceed Dom's projections, right? And Vegas's over-under number, which is 92.5 points, right? Like, I'm pretty confident that they're going to be better than they were last year in some. But, you know, I still sort of look at a team and think... There's still holes even where we look at and talk about them as if they're settled and, and mm-hmm. completely, you know, uh, robust. You know, like even their strengths, I, I don't sort of see as overwhelming strengths. And that's sort of something that as I watch this preseason unfold and as I think about what to expect from this upcoming season sort of lingers for me. Is just, you know, in addition to the defensive issues that that uh, we've talked about, the construction issues that we've talked about, right? You know, I expect this team to score partly because of the power play, right? I think this team's going to be above average. Like, I have fewer concerns about Vancouver's ability to manufacture offense than there are Mariners fans in the lower mainland, 
which is to say not many. But, but, you know, I don't know that it's like a high-end enough group to paper over all these flaws. Like, I, I just think at the end of the day, you know, if there there's one guy that can do that, and it's the guy we watched have like seven of the best save highlights <laughs> earlier, it's Thatcher Demko. Well, if you're just talking about the forward group, and I sound like a broken record on this, but it remains true. So much of it comes down to Elias Pettersson, what he does, right? You're talking about they need that true high-end elite guy who can overwhelm teams, right? And ideally you have multiple of them, but the guy who can put himself in the conversation with, you know, the Bergerons, et cetera, et cetera, the, the truly elite players who tilt the ice consistently for you. If there's one guy who can do that, it's Elias Pettersson. It wouldn't shock me, but you also can't bank on it, right? And- well, I think he's going to shred the league. I'm, I'm actually baking in a very high expectation level for Elias Pettersson into this analysis. And I just still sort of wonder if you can avoid playing Miller with Pettersson over the course of a full season if you want to win at the top of your lineup. Like, you know, I don't know I don't know if you can. Like they they with those two on the ice at the same time, the Canucks have outscored their opponents by thirty over the last three years, right? With those two separate from one another on the ice, the Canucks have been outscored five on five. Yeah. Right? That's a huge swing. And and so I just sort of wonder, at some point, if the logic of this team is we're going to overpower opponents with, you know, this barrage of offense at the top of our lineup, like, are you going to be able to keep those two separate for the full season? I think it's at least worth trying to start, right? But to keep them separate? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Because that's the, th- that's, that's the theory of this team is we have these three incredible centers, right? These three centers we really, really like, even if Bo Horvat doesn't project as that type of truly elite point producer, right? We know that. But that's the idea how they've constructed this team. When they re-signed JT Miller, you kind of locked yourself in, at least to this year, for that version of the team. You know what I mean? Because then all of a sudden, if you if you play Patterson with Miller, you're opening up a huge hole down the middle on your third line. And then it's like, okay, well, now we got to bump Curtis Lazar up. And right. you have to stack your minutes into the top six, so extreme... I don't know. But I think you lose two you lose two wingers. Two wingers. And all of a sudden you're debating Lazar or Joshua or Linus Carlson in your top nine. I mean, if the plan falls apart that quickly, it's not a great plan. No? I don't know. There's I, down I, note. I'm genuinely just there's, asking the question. No, no. But like Of course there's downside with this team. Yeah. That's why nobody's picking them as a cup contender. That's right. why even optimistic takes are like 95, 96 points. You know what I mean? Right. That I think there's a recognition that there's this this team fund. How much has it really changed in the last three years, right? Like this team is going to go as far as its power play, Patterson, Hughes, and its goaltender, whether it was Markstrom or Demko, takes them. Mm-hmm. H- hasn't that kind of been the book on the Canucks for a while now? And doesn't it still feel like it is well, to, except, a, to a certain extent? Except that in the last sixty games yet last year, right? We saw a team that, you know. Maybe the underlying metrics were only average defensively, but in terms of goal prevention, they were a top five group, right? We saw a team perform at a 106-point pace level, um, and not for a small stretch of games, right? Now, I never bought them making the playoffs because of how hard it is to catch up in the league, but mm-hmm. you know, I still weight that 60 games we saw heavily in terms of you know what this team can accomplish. I see some areas for regression, areas for concern, particularly on the on the back end, but, you know... The logic of that, the logic of that performance, you know, certainly suggests that there's, you know, a strong top end here. And I'm just sort of looking to investigate how confident we should be in that, considering, you know, the the composition of this forward group as it's as it's played out. We got to take a quick break, but the the 
the last point I'll make here, and Harmon Dial is going to join us on the other side, so we can get into it with him a little bit as well, is, again, talking about the way they've chosen to construct the team, I think so much of it relies on the idea that those three centers can elevate their wingers, right? Can elevate whoever they're playing with, whether it's JT Miller with Tanner Pearson. Tonight, we're going to see it with Bo Horvat, Dakota Joshua, and Niels Hoaglander. That's the plan. I think it's totally fair to to point out that that's far from a guarantee that there's a lot of downside potentially to that plan. But that's kind of how I view the logic of building this team in this way. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great thoughts coming in. As I said, Drancer's colleague from the Athletic, Harmon Dial, will join us next. We'll get into the game tonight. Uh, some of the lingering questions about the lineup construction, roster construction for this Canucks team as well. Lots more on the way. Second hour of Canucks Talk coming up here uh, on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 here in your home of the Canucks on a Canucks game day. They're out in Abbotsford hosting the Edmonton Oilers in their penultimate preseason game before the regular season gets going next week. Ooh, yeah, proper usage right. of the word that's penultimate. Right. That's Let's right. go. Got to get it in there when it comes after answer. Uh, I'm Jamie Dodd. That's Thomas Drance, my co-host. Canucks Talk Hello. brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. See, there's debate about which baseball team is is BC's favorite. No debate about uh, which orthotics provider is Canada's favorite? It is Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, of course. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You know, we've been asking people to send in their uh, their obnoxious Canucks uncle takes that they're expecting to hear or dreading hearing at Thanksgiving uh, this weekend. And uh, Rager sent this in. Luckily, I don't have this uncle, but one that always brings up his time working in PR for an NHL team would be unbearable. Luckily, we, luckily I don't know anyone like that either, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, bullet, I'm, bullet dodge. I, I promise you, I'm an elite uncle and have elite <laughs> Thanksgiving hockey takes. Elite. I can only imagine. <laughs> it's so like, a, like an even more extended edition I, I, of Canucks talk at I, the table with Trancer. I also can promise you that with my family, hockey would never come up. With my wife's family, who's actually coming to visit this year, it does. There you so, go. So we'll see. You're, you gotta you gotta flex those muscles a little it's bit. It's gonna it's be a, an interesting one, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Anyway, six fifty, six fifty. Keep getting your thoughts in. We are now very pleased to be joined from the Athletic as well. Drancer's colleague over there doing great work covering the team. Harmon Dial. Harmon, thanks very much, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm uh, I'm enjoying the discourse all over Twitter about whether it's the Mariners <laughs> or the Jays is is a Canada or BC's team. Are you going to so so I'm a I'm a lifelong Jays fan. I know Drancer is a Jays fan as well. Are you going to uh, announce yourself into either camp here, Harmon? Yeah, I've been I've been a Jays fan. I've played go. all the MLB games and and I always resonated with the Jays and not the Mariners. The thing about the Mariners is it's hard to feel like there's there's no connection there aside from they're sure they're geographically close, but it's they're not even in the same country. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't even have a single A affiliate here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it's 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 been Jays all the way. 
There you go. boy. I love I loved to hear it, Harmon. Uh, speaking of the Canucks, they're out in Abbotsford tonight. More good takes from Harmon Dyer. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> a good take machine here. Uh, they're out in Abbotsford tonight hosting the Edmonton Oilers. You know, Drance and I were talking. There's, there's some really interesting lineup nuggets and, and things to read into uh, based on what we saw at the skate at UBC today. Is it fair to say that maybe the player with the most pressure on their performance tonight is Tucker Pullman on the blue line? Possibly, and I think I think part of it also hinges on, I guess there's less pressure because Hughes is sticking to the left side. I think if Hughes, if there was an indication that Hughes was sticking to the right side, there would have been even more pressure because you would have been looking at Hughes and Myers as, as locks, and then if you're looking at that, at that third pair spot between um, Shen and Pullman, then you'd obviously go with Shen right now. So I think Hughes shifting over to the left side, it definitely takes some pressure off in in my opinion but yeah I mean he hasn't had an ideal preseason um and having said that I look at this this blue line and and I still think he's perfectly fine as a third pair guy and really it's about his health status and ensuring that he can be the sort of player player that he was last season where he was serviceable when he was on a bottom pair He's just not a top four guy. So I guess there's leverage there in terms of trying to show the coaching staff that, hey, I can fill in a prominent top four role now, now that he's projected to be on a pair with OEL. But I, I don't know if there's a ton of, pre- ton of pressure in terms of actually battling for a lineup spot the way there maybe was, say, a week ago when Hughes was on the right side. And, you know, with with that blue line, it doesn't look like based on how things went at practice that Jack Rathbone will get into the game. Drance was saying earlier he kind of sees that as a good sign for Rathbone, not not as a sign that he's going to be on the outside looking in. Do you feel like he's done enough to clearly stake his claim to a spot in the lineup for opening night? Definitely, especially because, well, two reasons. Uh, well, two reasons. Number one, when the Canucks initially opened camp and they – we're experimenting with OEL and Hughes together. I think we all sort of assumed that Shen would have been then in, in that sort of scenario, the, the third pair uh, presence on the right side. And it was telling to me that Boudreaux opened right away with, with Rathbone next to Shen. And that just right from, right from the start of camp looked like uh, looked like uh, an NHL sort of third pair. And obviously Shen's bumped up the lineup since Hughes has gone back to the left side, but that, right away told me that this coaching staff sees Rathbone as, as as someone who can contribute on an everyday basis. And you look at the fact that he got an early power play opportunity on the second, second unit. And especially with Dermot out, his mobility and the way he can move the puck, I think becomes more important to this blue line from the left side. Harmon, how do you rate Vancouver's forward group relative to teams around the league? Like top 10, top 15? Where are they right? Ra- where are they rated for you? Right now or when they're healthy? Um, well, let's go. Let's go right now, and then when they're healthy, and we'll and we'll discuss the gap. Right now, it's like I'm looking at this top nine group, and when you're when you're missing Bester and Mikheyev, it's like you've got a top six that I like, but right now, even for example, with the third line with with Joshua Horvat and Hoaglander doesn't give me a lot of uh, of confidence. We know, like, I'm a believer in Hoaglander. I think he can be just fine um, in a top-end role, but they're definitely missing. Uh, they, they don't have a natural natural uh, secondary option to bump up into the secondary missing top nine spot. So when I look at it right now, the top nine's good, but I'm not sure I'd rate it top ten. 
um, when you're missing Besser and McCav. And if you were if Besser and McCav are there, where do you rate them? Probably on the fringes of of the top ten. I mean, I'd have to really drill down and, and think uh, long and hard about it. I think the 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 biggest thing that needs to happen if Vancouver wants to be decisively a top ten forward group is. Pedersen Besser really need to bounce back. I think they both have it in them, but if Pedersen can continue where he left off in the second half of last season, and let's say he's a, he can play up to his potential and be a 40-goal, 90-point sort of contributor, sure. which is a lofty bar, but if he can do that, then I think it raises, in, in conjunction with Besser sort of playing like he did in the 2021 campaign, I think that gives... Vancouver a more imposing top end than we've seen in the last couple of years. And I think that's really what the formula was in 2019-20 was Pedersen and Besser kind of playing up to their potential and the waddle on being one of the best first lines in the NHL. So that's, I like, I like, I think there's a potential when they're healthy to have three forward lines that you really like. And I think they're deeper, but Pedersen and Besser sort of giving them that imposing edge at the top of the lineup that can really dominate other top matchups would be what I'd be looking for to really rate this as a top 10 forward group. Harmon, have you seen anything in preseason that looks like signal to you in terms of what to expect from the Canucks this season, or is it all noise in your perspective, from your perspective? For me, it, most of it's just noise. I, I, out of curiosity, went, and, and obviously the Canucks have been winless in preseason, and so I kind of decided to go back and looked at teams that have significantly struggled since 2017. I kind of looked at teams that played at least five, uh, at least five preseason games and were 400 or, or, or below in terms of their point percentage, and, and there was no signal in terms of how they started the season. Now, so, so results-wise, I, I don't read anything into it, but process-wise and and habits-wise it has been a little bit concerning to see that the see that the team hasn't uh hasn't been structured defensively and and we're seeing some of the same issues that we saw that we've seen at various points over the last couple of years in terms of the puck moving issues and and i think that to me solidifies that as okay yeah that's still a concern going into the season but that's that's not new. That's not like I, we knew that was going to be a, a challenge. So for, for me, it, it is a little bit concerning. But overall, I don't read too much into preseason at all. The way I always, uh, I always think about it is, especially when you think about individual performances, I remember last preseason, Connor Garland, for example, looked he, he looked completely quiet. He looked like a shell of himself. And then he opened out of the gate with like eight points in, in his uh, in his first six games and one, was one of the club's best forwards in October. So um, for that reason, I'm not reading much into what we've seen in preseason so far. Harmon, Tucker Pullman plays tonight with Oliver ekman Larson. Could you see a scenario where his spot in the opening night lineup is in question, that he'd have something to prove this evening in Abbotsford? I don't think so, just because, again, with Hughes on the left side again, I don't, I don't know who would beat him out necessarily on, on the right side. I think Kyle Burrows, um, I like him as a depth guy, but I don't think he is someone who can leapfrog Pullman. Unless Pullman looks, looks awful and completely out of sorts and you're wondering about whether he can be the same player that he typically is. I, I guess that would be the one one thing that, I mean, we wouldn't necessarily be, be privy to that knowledge. Is, is how is Pullman feeling, and 
does the coaching staff have confidence that he can be the player that he usually has been uh, both last season and uh, and with the Jets? Because if you're expecting that Pullman's 100% and can play up to his ability level, I, I, I think that when um, when you line up that right side, um, I, 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 I think Myers, Shen, and, and Pullman are, are your three best uh, righties. In conversation with Harmon Dial of The Athletic here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And, you know, as, as we talk about some of the individuals involved on the blue line, and uh, you referenced their defensive performance so far in the preseason and how it's concerning, I, I feel a little bit almost like a, a fatalism here because a part of me just thinks, you know, the defense is what we've seen over the last couple of years and it's going to continue to be that way. Do you see anything on the Canucks blue line, whether it's personnel, you know, with Jack Rathbone in the mix or, or a tactical change they can make, anything they can do to kind of alleviate some of these defensive concerns? Or is it basically just baked in, this is what it's going to be from this point on in your opinion Harmon. well the biggest thing i'm looking for is can some of the non-hughes players play up to their ceiling and what i kind of mean by that is for example ekman larson and myers last season were really good defensively and i think that was a key part of the club's five on five uh, resurgence in terms of their ability to control play and be an average even strength team which when coupled with an elite power play and and a competent penalty kill made them a really competitive hockey team. And so from that perspective, you're hoping that OEL and Myers can sustain those defensive gains and continue controlling play, especially considering they were doing that in a really tough spot, playing matchup minutes against the other team's uh, best players on a, on a nightly basis. And aside from those guys playing up to, uh, up to their, um, up to their peak ability level, I'm also looking to see, a player like Luke Shen, right? He, I think, punched above his talent level last season. He was perfect. He was perfectly serviceable in the top four next to uh, next to Quinn Hughes. But obviously, for most of his career, he's been a six-seven. I mean, it's why, for example, he was even a, a healthy scratch to scratch for the club to start last season. And so, with that in mind, you're hoping that he can he can continue to play at the level that he, that he did last season. Um, and then you're wondering, uh, you referenced Rathbone, but also when Travis Dermott becomes healthy, I mean, odds are he's probably not anything more than a third pair guy, but there's still an outside shot that, and, and you're going to, and you may need him in as say a number four D if you suffer an injury and especially with him having that versatility and being able to play the left and the right side. He's a player that I think you'd look look at and say, is there a way we can get a little bit more out of him? Is there a way we can help him level up, even if it's a little bit, even if it's moving up from from playing at the ability level of uh, of a five six and maybe maybe a little bit closer to a four five. Even that sort of bump could be big. Let's say game sixty three when you're down a couple defensemen and you need him to chew up some uh, bigger minutes. So. I think I think Dermot's one of the players that you're hoping can help in help in terms of p- potential internal improvement. And, and you know, I guess we always focus understandably when we're talking about this on the guys actually on the blue line, Harmon. But you know, just just thinking about it now, the forwards have to be better defensively too, right? How much could that, if there is some sort of recommitment and uh, establishment of a better defensive effort from the forwards, how much could that impact things? Potentially, I think Mikheyev would uh, would certainly help in that department. But at the same time, this is more or less the same forward group that we've seen for a long time. And, and 
the thing to keep in mind is when the Canucks opened last season and they, and, and I think they looked at the, the forwards needing to provide more help for the defensemen. And that happened as, as Travis Green sort of altered his system and played a less conservative four check and placed a greater emphasis on structure. The issue with that was it sort of took away the, the wind in their offensive sails. It, it took away some of, the, uh, some of the pace that they had offensively. It took away the, the aggressiveness of, uh, of their game. And the team was all of a sudden struggling to score. So, sure, the forwards can help a little bit more defensively, but would that come at an offensive cost? And especially knowing Boudreaux and, and the, freedom he, the freedom he likes to give his forwards, I don't think that that's a direction that they'll lean. And obviously you want your forwards to be a little bit more, more committed. You want them to play uh, tighter gaps and, and reload better and, and help out the defenseman in that way. I just don't know how much you can squeeze out outside of the Mikheyev edition, which I think will help in terms of the two-way control for whatever line he ends up on when he's healthy again. Do you think there's a risk since the Canucks installed this more conservative defensive structure, right? Then Boudreaux comes in, turns up the intensity on the pressure game, down ice in particular, but doesn't really change much in terms of how the Canucks defended in the defensive end. Club reels off this incredible second half with with that sort of combination. Now you've got Boudreaux coming in, installing his own system. Do you think there's a risk that they take, that like they almost found the right combination in midseason last year, and without that, they could fall off defensively. Do you, do you see any possibility of that? I think I'm not too worried. And like, like when we look at last season, even when like they were just a high event team, even like when obviously there were the, there were offensive gains and that outpaced the drop off in terms of how many more scoring chances and shots they were allowing, but they were still allowing quite a bit. And so from that perspective, I don't think it, I don't think it'll get a lot worse than they did last season just because they were already allowing quite a bit. And with that in mind, in terms of the sort of goals against effort, the, the biggest the, – one of the one of the quiet storylines that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see is obviously the even strength of goaltending. Jansen, I know you've uh, mentioned that the Canucks had the number one 5-5 five five save percentage in, in the league last season. And I'm not concerned about Demko, but I'm – It'll be interesting to see can the club how will the club fare in games where Demko isn't playing and you've got Spencer Martin, especially because Demko played 64 games last season and by the end of the season he was obviously playing through injury. I wonder if you need to reduce his workload a little bit, and mm. that would mean a decent chunk of games for Martin, who was great for the club last season. Don't get me wrong. But he's not an established NHL backup, and you just don't know which way which way he'll get. Maybe he'll be great, and 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 maybe he won't. And I, and so I think that goaltending for however many games, twenty to twenty five, whatever it ends up being, I think that will have that will have a greater emphasis on the club's goals against um, standing relative to last season than than compared to their actual ability to. Uh, uh, to, to prevent shots and chances, which I think should be pretty similar to what it was uh, under Boudreaux in the second half anyway. Harmon, always really appreciate the time, man. We'll talk again soon. Go Jays!
Go Jays. <laughs> there he is. That is Harmon Dial, Harmon Dial uh, who, of course, is uh, Drancer's colleague covering the Canucks at The Athletic. Always uh, always a pleasure to get Harmon on the show, especially now that I know he is also a Jays fan. 650 650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can continue to get your thoughts in ahead of a uh, Canucks matchup with the Edmonton Oilers tonight in Abbotsford. Game not on TV, but you will be able to hear it right here on Sportsnet 650 with Brendan Batchelor uh, and uh, and Randy Janda on the call today. Drancer, what did you think of uh, Harmon's response to the question about where the forward group stacks up? Yeah, was pretty mean, as, as Harmon typically is pretty reasonable. Pretty pretty reasonable. Pretty reasonable. And I just think, yeah, I think that's right. Like, I just think the level of confidence that we have in the forwards to be a strength of the team depends on things breaking right nonetheless. And and I think that's an important thing to remember, right? This isn't, you know, Colorado where you can lose Burakovsky and Kadri and we have zero concerns that that forward group's still going to be lights out, right? Like, this isn't that. And I just think that's worth noting in advance of the season as we set our expectations. Again, I have zero concerns that this Canucks team is going to successfully generate offense. They're going to puncture opposing goaltenders and do so semi-regularly at an above-average clip. I would... I would bet a lot that Vancouver is top 15 by goals for. So, you know, but are they going to be top five? You know, I think that's a stretch. That's going to require things to go their way. And as such, I think that shines a micro or a microscope on Vancouver's ability to prevent goals, right? They're not going to be able to outscore their problems. And that's what, you know, I want to see tonight. I want to see some semblance of progress in terms of just just don't permit eight incredible scoring chances per period. That's uh, I'm not I'm not concerned about it. I'm not concerned about the preseason. I just want to see this team play with a, a little bit of basic defensive structure and know-how tonight and on Friday. Like that's all I want to see. And I think they'll they should be able to leap over that bar. I'm not setting it very high, but that's you know that's what I think this team's got to do. Uh, to close out this preseason if they're going to go into the regular season feeling good about themselves. Just help, help the goalie out. You know what I mean? Be well, a, yeah. Do the goalie a solid and, it looks and help like, him out. And it looks like Spencer Martin's going to play tonight. You know, you don't want him going... This is his last... This is, first of all, his first time to really play a full game in the mm-hmm. preseason. And probably his last. So this is the only tune-up he's getting. He's probably going to play again in Columbus that second week of the season. That's tough, right? Like, this first road trip for the Canucks is going to be tough. Because you've got... Edmonton right out the right off the bat. We know they're good. In fact, this year they're poised to be loaded, right? Like this Edmonton team is poised to be a hundred plus point team for sure. For sure. Then you've got Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is not going to be good. But but you don't want to play a John Tortorella team that's not good early in the season. Because they <laughs> like that's like the worst time to come up against Philadelphia. You play them in March, you know, they're going to have like 18 injuries from playing meat wagon, block every shot hockey. That's also a one o'clock Pacific time game, which is always, uh, yeah. always makes me a little nervous. Although the, the, Canucks, the Canucks fly out yeah, on they have a couple Thursday, days. so yeah. they'll, they should be fine. They should be fine. But, you know, the I just think a Tortorella team early in the season is always a tougher opponent than you think, even if their team is woeful, uh, a disaster. And I think the Philadelphia Flyers qualify. And then, you know, you get to Washington. That's a tough opponent for the Canucks. 
That I mean, they played Vancouver really tough in Vancouver last year. Vancouver's game tends to translate okay against the Capitals because the Caps don't have a ton of speed. Um, but they move the puck well, and that can be a tricky opponent for the Canucks. That's going to be a hard-fought game one way or the other. Columbus on a back-to-back. Like, Columbus is improved. They're, Vancouver should beat them, but they're going to be the tired team. It's a schedule well, on loss. A, on a back-to-back, yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> even saying... The, uh, Only the, a 90-minute flight. Will the Canucks but, be favored in that game? I would think yes. Narrowly. Like, like, yeah. like I, I'd think, you know, minus 110 or something. Like, sure. almost pick them. And then... And then you play a Minnesota team that's really good to close that trip. Then you come back, you play Buffalo, and they're tougher than people expect them to be, too. Like, they're going to be good this year, I think, in terms of being a team that can at least give you trouble. That top line is actually really good. You've got Alex Tuck. You've got Tage Thompson. You've got some players that can give you a hard night. Owen Power is going to be excellent, by the way. Really good. So that's going to be an interesting start to the season, right? You, you, You want this team to come back off of that road trip, right? At least two and three, mm-hmm. ideally two, two and one, or th- or three and two, and then you need to win that home opener. It feels like those six games are going to be really high leverage in terms of establishing this club as having like positive vibes, the fans behind them, some of that Bruce. There it is, momentum that we felt creep into the building toward the end of last season for the first time in like ten years. And I think one of the things we're seeing through this preseason is that that momentum is pretty fragile, right? At least from a fan's perspective, because it's all it's taken is some some preseason losses to to really snap that momentum. You can earn it back with a bunch of wins to start the season, but it could also slip away, potentially, depending on how those few games go. Well, and I'd add this. Some of the news from last week, I think, is going to create an environment where fans are less patient, less forgiving right? More liable to take bad performance and get on the team and express their disappointment, right? Um, I just feel like those six games out of the gate can be really high leverage for this team, which is sort of why we want to see that better defensive effort in the in these final two preseason games, even though the results don't matter. Just, you know, less of what we saw in Seattle and Edmonton this week, right? <laughs> a little bit less of that, a little bit more help for Demko and Martin as they get their feet under them in their final preseason appearances. 656. uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. This is Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Final segment of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can con- uh, continue to send in your thoughts on the Canucks preseason, uh, the uh, the obnoxious Uncle Canucks takes that you're expecting to hear at Thanksgiving. We've had some very good ones of those today. Uh, whatever your thoughts are on the Canucks, hit us up 650-650 as it is a Canucks game day. They're getting set to host the Edmonton Oilers in Abbotsford tonight at 7. And we've talked a lot about 
the different lineup combinations and defense pairs uh, that the Canucks showed at UBC when they skated, did their game day skated at UBC today, Drancer. I did want to touch on special teams just a little bit here uh, in the final segment. No surprises on power play one, which we got to look at as well, because Menko in the net front, Miller, Horvat, Pedersen, Hughes. Boom, that's locked in. Besser's injured, so you sub in Kuzmenko. When we have seen that group together in limited action, they've looked excellent. Who it, also, when you have those other those four guys who are mainstays there, they're going to have a good power play, right? So I'm not concerned about power play one at all. I think we're in lockstep on oh, that. I, they're going to be really good. More than not concerned, yeah, they're right? going to be really like, good. I'm, Excited, yeah, yeah. I think I, I am. I am tailing PP one as an elite unit. Yeah. I think there's a real chance that they are. Next group down after the Oilers and the Maple Leafs. Like I think, I think those are going to be the two best power plays, and I think the Canucks have a real shot to cement themselves as third uh, in the league. Like that's sort of where I think their expectations should be going into the season. Anything less than that would be disappointing to me. Power play two. Vasily Pod Colson in the net front role. Connor Garland on the uh, on the half board on his one timer side. Tanner Pearson in the bumper. Niels Hoaglander on the other wall. Oliver Ekman Larson running things from the point as well. So not really any major surprises on power play two either. I mean, when you look at the the forwards they have in the lineup, those are kind of the obvious next four offensively talented forwards that you'd want in that situation. I do think as much as, you know, as you pointed out, Hoaglander finds himself back on the third line in this. I, I do think that it's a good sign to a certain extent for Niels Hoaglander to be there. The other option would probably be like playing two defensemen, which well, they have done at certain times. I like it better than their alignment with Rathbone, but yeah. I would expect if if Rathbone is in fact, as we think, um, earmarked for the opening night lineup, I think he'll be there. I think they will go to defensemen, and I don't like that as much as this alignment. Even though you know, I'd probably move. I'd probably swap Pearson and Pod Colson, right? Like I, I'd I'd rather see Pod Colson sort of play a little bit higher up. But you can understand why they do it, particularly after Pearson had some success mm-hmm. operating with the first unit in Horvat's usual spot earlier this preseason. Yeah, and those power play units, again, with the possible exception of, uh, as you said, uh, with Rathbone potentially sliding in and taking that Hoaglander spot, you know, those power play units really scream opening night dress rehearsal type of lineup to me, and we'll see how they perform in the game uh, against the Edmonton Oilers in Abbotsford tonight. The other thing I'm curious about, and it's been harder to get a a real read on what this is going to look like throughout preseason, throughout training camp, is, you know, one of my kind of unanswered questions, what's the deployment on the penalty kill going to look like, right? And we saw them play, you know, Curtis Lazar and Jason Dickinson together on the penalty kill. We know Curtis Lazar was brought in to play a big role there. Obviously, Ilya Mikheyev was as well, but they're going to have to start the season without him so in that absence uh, I'm going to be really watching closely tonight when they have all of their first choice forwards who are healthy in the lineup how do they structure the penalty kill who gets used how many different groups are there who are they kind of leaning on the most and in particular how involved are each of Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, and JT Miller going to be, right? Because Horvat and Pettersson had success last year coming in and playing uh, later in the season as a penalty-killing du- duo. JT Miller has been a staple on the penalty kill, but they've also talked about wanting to reduce his minutes where they can. And to me, the PK looks like the low-hanging fruit spot to do that. So that's one of the kind of lingering, unanswered questions that I feel like we have less information about. But... Given how much they struggled on the penalty kill, how much they needed to be better, it's also a pretty pivotal question to see what it's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I think, I wonder if we'll see a fair bit of Dickinson-Lazar again 
I mean, it feels like they they succeeded fairly consistently against the Oilers' power play on Monday. I'd have another look at it because of the success that they had mm-hmm. really preventing shots. Like, the Oilers' PP1 didn't get a shot in 90 seconds against Dickinson and Lazar, right? Like, that's, to me, a meaningful data point that at least I'd want to see more of, right? I, I'm not reading much into 90 seconds of hockey. I mean, puck can bounce over a stick, can be completely lucky black swan event but i'd like to see that i'd particularly like to see that because i think they need to limit jt miller's exposure four on five jt miller has been playing like 20 minutes a night on a pretty regular basis as a forward for this team i don't think that's how you get the best defensive performance out of him in fact it's one reason why i'm not as low on jt miller's defensive struggles at center right the underlying numbers are really cruel to him defensively but like what do you expect from a guy playing 22 minutes a night like it's it's too much for a forward to play that amount of time it's just too much so you know if you could limit how much four on five he plays I think you'd be way better off I think you'd get way better results from him Uh, Mikhaev being out of the lineup complicates things too because obviously he would have been a significant part of their plans so you know maybe Miller maybe you see Miller Pedersen uh, something like that on on their second penalty kill unit. Um, that's kind of what I'd expect tonight. Like that's sort of how I'd how I'd lean. Maybe you go Miller to win the draws with Lazar, and then Dickinson Patterson. But um, those would be sort of the four guys that I'd expect to do it tonight. Do you Up expect anyway? Do you expect Bo Horvat to have a role on the penalty kill this year? He a hasn't regular role with it? No. Yeah. Like he hasn't practiced with the PK groups at all, and so I would not. No. That's interesting to me, just well, because if well, the, for the only reason I say that is if you are, if you are really committed to reducing Miller's minutes in that area, right? And for the reasons you laid out, I think they should be genuinely committed. Yeah, I get that it's easy to go back to you know, like Miller and Tanner Pearson have killed a lot of penalties together uh, for this team over the last couple of years. I get that it's easy to go back to that, but look, if if Bo Horvat is still such a big part of your team, and you're probably based on the lineup tonight, he's he's slotting into that third line spot. Yeah, he's on power play one. Don't you want to try to find to get some other uh, other value out of him when he's when he's in the lineup? And look, maybe the the fact of it is they look at it and say, you know what, he's not that good at penalty killer, so we're not going to use him there. But I would at least be trying to figure out if he can be an option for the team over JT Miller, right? If, again, you you have this this guy who's uh, you're you're playing matchup minutes and he's playing on your third line and all that. Try to use him on the penalty kill. It seems to make a lot of sense to me, and I, I'm a little surprised that it doesn't seem to be an option right now. Yeah, and we'll see. Maybe it is tonight, but to this point yeah. in main group practices, we just haven't seen him do that work, that four-on-five work. I thought there was something about Pedersen Horvat that made sense. Horvat has traditionally not been a particular active four-on-five option for yep. his career, despite being a completely, you know, uh, like good, good to uh, better than that defensive player at five on five for whatever reason the four on five game has never clicked for him I felt like it did toward the second half of last season and playing with Pedersen who was really charged to be a missile right to just like go about the ice disrupting everything he could Horvat would be the more contained player and it looked to me like that unlocked something for them um you know I would have seen them be second over the boards again this year and, you know, Lazar Mikhaev feels like a good first PK option. Like, I would have probably seen that. You can send Dickinson Miller over or Miller and whomever is like a third group. That sort of gives you some Miller shorthanded time and also limits his ice time exposure. That would sort of have been what I would have expected coming into the season. But 
I, they just haven't used him there. They just have not used him there, and as such, you know, I don't, I don't think we can expect that to suddenly flip. But look, uh, we've still got a week of practices and two games before the season begins, so I'll, uh, I'll leave some we space. We will see. I'll leave some space for us to be surprised. Uh, we're gonna play some, uh, some audio from Tucker Poolman back in a minute here because you know, as we talked about, it feels like there's a lot riding on his performance uh, for the Canucks, partnered with Oliver ekman Larson, I do want to get this in, though. I know I don't think we talked about it on air. We were talking about it off-air before the show, and I know you tweeted it out. Uh, this is completely unrelated to the Canucks, but people are texting in about it. Uh, Erling Holland being even money to score two goals, two-plus goals today, and people are texting in that he has, in fact, got the brace in the 32nd minute of Man City's match in the Champions yeah, League well, today. Was, so it was priced correctly. I looked at it, I looked at it, and I thought, you know... That's unreal. That's not the value that I want. Like that's what I thought because I was, I, you know, I was hoping to build a same game parlay, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I can't even get plus money for a Holland goal and uh, and a Manchester City win. Like, what is this? And so I and so I passed, and so my bank roll doesn't grow today. No, but he uh, he he held up his end of the bargain. That. I mean, yeah, that's, he's a machine. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get back to the Canucks here, but he's, that is completely unreal. He's a latter day Ronaldo. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, six and also now all our listeners know that I'm like always betting on soccer when we're on the. If air. you're ever curious about like, I wonder what those guys talk about during the break. It is a hundred percent trans. Either fantasy football trades you're running past me, or yeah. uh, same game parlays that you're running past me. <laughs> um, for, for Typically soccer, in like yeah. yeah European whatever European soccer is happening yeah, while we're doing the show. That's pretty much the glimpse. Uh, the glimpse I, behind I'm, the curtain. I am exactly the person you'd think <laughs> the worst in every respect uh 650 650 is the dunbar lover text line continue to get your thoughts in what you're hoping what you're wanting to see expecting to see tonight and for the remainder of the preseason as the canucks go into the regular season next week as mentioned tucker pullman in a big spot tonight uh still feels like maybe some pressure to earn his spot in the lineup he's getting a chance to play with oliver ekman larson uh, he spoke to the canucks media after practice today at ubc here's tucker pullman pretty exciting in the like in the room in the morning you kind of you get in there and obviously there's not as many guys so you kind of look around the room and just kind of feel that it's time to get it going here personal level uh how excited are you to get back into some game action uh it's been it's been great just to play um still working out some things i think and getting in the swing of it but it's been it's awesome to be out here It's just like those little details, I'd say. You know, just those little plays, trying to, you know, kind of remember where everyone's at. And it's coming. Touch wood. How, how nerve-wracking was it coming into camp and now to be in a position where you're like, okay, I'm good, I can play. None of those issues are there. Um, yeah, it was a long summer, you know, and just getting back to, to baseline. And, um, you know, the first game especially, well, just trying to just play and, you know, see what happens, and it went great, feel good, so that was just kind of a, you know, big relief. You allowed yourself to sort of settle and be like, back to speed Yeah, I think it's, you know, starting to relax a little bit, so, but definitely at the beginning, you know. And, and just sort of in terms of what coaches staff's looking for, I mean, obviously you can be told to control it, but do you feel like you've been able to execute the way you need to execute, the way you've been asked to? Um, I think I've got to keep progressing through this camp and to get to a, a better spot where I think I can get to but uh, I just got to keep working and, and kind of treat, keep pushing basically How much more comfortable do you feel just from the reps from having a couple of weeks of kind of everyday How much more comfortable do you feel now say that when you first, first day of camp? Oh from um, 
definitely more comfortable. You get hundreds of hundreds of uh, reps and um, playing with a bunch of different guys, talking to different guys, um, kind of going through the system with Bruce. You know, this is his first training camp, so you know he's got to talk to us a lot more and, and all the new coaches and kind of you know, just a lot more you know to digest and to kind of implement as a team. Uh, obviously, health is, is the paramount thing, but when you're playing, do you feel like you have uh, another level than what you showed last year? Um, I think I think for me it's I got to be skating you know try to push the pace play simple um, and just try to execute as best I can um, but for me I think I need to be more of a skater and, and just try to push the pace that way Bruce seems to have a lot of confidence he's starting to show confidence in you now he sees you're going to be available every day how much does that mean? Um, I mean, it's awesome uh, the way last last year went. Um, you know, it's just great to be out here, honestly, and it's just grateful to, to be playing again, so that part's been exciting for me too. But uh, I guess that's cool too. You talked about all the different partners here, and we're seeing the guys who are playing up here skating for the new guys. Like, does that matter to you? Do you feel like you're an easy guy to play with? Is it more about you, or are you trying to forge the chemistry here before you start? Um, for me, I would say I just try to play my same game. Um, shouldn't be if I'm playing my best. I shouldn't be doing anything too fancy. But I'm skating. My gap should be good. I'm doing quick, easy plays. You know, jumping when I can. But I should be skating and, and playing simple. That that is Canucks defenseman Tucker Poolman speaking to uh, reporters. Today, after the game day skate at UBC as the club gets ready to face Edmonton in Abbotsford tonight. And, you know, Tucker Pullman acknowledging there, hey, look, I've, I've got to keep progressing. I've got to keep working. And one of the themes when we have heard from Pullman uh, so far this season, Drancer, has been, you know, talking about the injury and what he went through in kind of pretty, pretty vague and indirect terms, which is completely understandable. Obviously, there's a desire for Tucker Pullman to put that behind him, and it makes it tough to really... I found it at least a little bit hard to talk about exactly what we're seeing from Tucker Pullman because the injury is kind of hanging over it still and the fact that he's coming back uh, from the injury. I did like what what Harmon had to say earlier, whereas where, you know, okay, you probably don't want Tucker Pullman playing in your top four. You don't want Tucker Pullman playing in your top four, but he showed he can be useful as a third-pairing guy. And I think for me, that's important to keep in mind, just kind of, okay, what standard are we expecting him to get back to, right? You know, that that's a really important thing because I don't think he's going to be OEL's partner on a shutdown pair. I, don't, I just don't think that's going to happen as he's playing tonight. But can he be that viable third-pairing guy? Yes, I still absolutely think he can be that. I just think the standard flips, right? To this point, it's just been good to see Tucker Pullman play. Right to get through games, to play, to continue to play, mm-hmm. to continue to practice. Every day you show up at the rink, he's back on the ice. That's good, right? Over the course of the next week, right? That standard is going to flip, and it's going to be: Can this guy help you win? Now it's and can can he help you win? What role can he help you win? In? Right, right. And that's where I sort of wonder. You know, I just he hasn't, in my view, significantly outperformed Kyle Burrows in preseason action to this point, and. Depending on exactly how Vancouver accounts for their mounting collection of injured players, right? Like, you might need the cap space. You honestly might need the cap space to field 
the sort of roster that you're comfortable traveling with. I, I, I mean, I, I'm just curious to see exactly how this plays out. That's why I sort of see tonight as, a, as an important one for him. Like, he, he sh- you know, to leave no doubt in terms of his ability to be that third pair guy to play with Jack Rathbone, to be, you know, what the Canucks want in that third pair and to beat out Kyle Burroughs in that respect. Now, it's probably a good sign for him that Burroughs is auditioning on the left side, mm-hmm. right? That's probably a, a helpful spot for him to uh, be in, but I still think he needs to seize this opportunity. I still think there's a battle to win, even with Hughes bumping back over to the left side and us now expecting that Hughes will begin the season there. Yeah, and again, there is that pretty clear... Tucker Pullman's not the same necessarily type of player as Luke Shen, right? Because he Pullman has a bit more mobility, uses his skating a little bit more, but you also heard him there talking about, you know, when he's playing his best, he's keeping things really simple. He's not trying to do anything fancy. You can see how that would work as a third pairing with Jack Rathbone. So there is a spot, and I think there is a role for Tucker Pullman to carve out on this team, but you're right. It does feel like uh, there's some stakes on it tonight, especially because, you know, let's say they did have to send him down to the AHL. That's obviously a really tough thing to do to a veteran player who's on a long-term contract still, like Tucker Pullman is, but you also can kind of frame it as he's getting back into game shape after a long time off, right? So we're going to give him a few games with Abbotsford, and then we'll revisit things. So I think you could kind of uh, massage the signal that it was sending a little bit and and make it more palatable, Uh, but we will see on how... Uh, he performs tonight in Edmonton. This text comes in. What's the update on Mikheyev? We do not have an update on Ilya Mikheyev uh, as of right now. I think the last we heard was still officially week to week from the club. There was some talk that he was going to be skating this week. I don't know that we've got confirmation on that like we did with Brock Besser, but uh, we will bring you more as we have it on all of the Canucks injuries, including Ilya Mikheyev. We were talking about Bo Horvat on the penalty kill just before we heard from Tucker Pullman there, this text comes in. What is there to figure out on Horvat? The guy has been here forever. He's not a good penalty killer. So why would you waste your time again? And I understand that perspective to a certain extent. Yeah, his numbers overall in his career on the penalty kill are not strong. It has not worked out for whatever reason. Now, having said that, you could have made that exact same argument last year when Bruce Boudreaux came in and they decided to try him at a certain point with Elias Pettersson on the penalty kill, and it turned out to be very effective. So... It's not as if there are only bad signs for Bo Horvath and penalty kill. And I think certainly there was enough to justify uh, trying him out there again this year. So I don't know. I get it. Yes, maybe it's an experiment that has a lot of downside because of his overall record on the penalty kill. But I think he showed enough upside there as well uh, to to at least justify giving it a shot. Evan texts in, 650-650. All I want to see the rest of the preseason is the group not allow any more odd man rushes against. They must figure this out. That's a tall order, but reduce. Drastically reduce. Drastically reduce. And And you know what? Hold on. It's not even necessarily the odd man rushes, though. A lot of it has been when they've been set up in the zone. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. It's it's in zone. It's on the outside. It's on the outside. Now there's a two-on-one down low. And then then goalie makes the save, and oh, there's another two-on-one down low? Like, how did that happen? Or or it's not an odd man rush, it's a two-on-two, but all of a sudden it's a two-on-one down low, and the guys have pace, or the skater isn't alone. Like, yeah, I mean, I just want to see it look a little bit cleaner than that, you know? Like, you don't have to clean your room, just tidy it for guests. <laughs> right? Like, that's what, that's what I want to see. Just hide some things in the closet. 100%. I don't care. I don't care if you sweep it under your bed. Just, like, make it presentable. Put the clothes under your comforter. <laughs> stuff, stuff some things in the closet. I don't want to watch the game with my... Uh, like I wish I could exp- I wish I could show our listeners the face that I make but it's like imagine your eyes widen and your brow is raised 
and then your mouth sort of drops, but not fully, like like halfway, and your and your face is in the shape of an O, and it's like, like that's the way that I watch the Canucks defend in the preseason so far, and I don't want to do that. I just want to, I just want to know that there's like a a basic spine of competence to deny chances against, because otherwise, I just think you're going to overtax your goaltenders and put yourself behind the eight ball far too regularly for this team to be the level of fun to watch that I think they have the potential to be. See, this is why we got to get our Twitter stream uh, up and running so people can see that oh, yeah. you're acting there that you were doing, trying to, <laughs> the expression you were pulling, which is you watching Canucks games. Cause that was uh, that was solid gold. I- I'll-, I'll leave us on this. We were, we were talking non Canucks, non hockey about the goal scoring prowess of Erling. Did Holland. he hit a hat trick? No, I don't know. Well, let me check. You might've, uh, <laughs> no, somebody else scored for, okay. uh, for Man City, though. But this person texted in, who is the NA- it was who, an own goal. who in the NHL is the Holland of hockey, or will it be Connor Bedard, LOL? I, uh, it's Austin Matthews. Yeah. It's in terms Austin of goal Matthews. scoring? Especially because, and like stylistically, because he's undeniable, because it's volume-based, um, because he's a bigger guy, a more powerful guy, right? I think the Bedard thing is more that Bedard has a chance to score from the perimeter in a way we've never seen before. So, you know, my cross-sports uh, Connor Bedard comp, no pressure, no pressure, kid. It would be would be Steph Curry. That would be my that would be my cross sports. There you Connor go, Connor Bedard comp. I love it. Yeah. That's uh, go that. Davidson. <laughs> yeah, big Davidson guy. Big Davidson guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's setting the standard pretty high. Just revolutionized the sport like Steph Curry did. Well, I mean, but it, <laughs> I'm I'm talking about it more from I know, a, I know. from a you know the range. Bedard has a chance to have a, a like. Um, what what what's a scoring chance for him is going to be you know potentially five to ten feet larger in in area than uh, than what it is for uh, everyone else. I don't have the date in front of me, but I know Connor Bedard is going to be in Vancouver at late the November. Langley Events late November, late November, yeah, playing the Vancouver Giants. And then I am also, hyped, hyped and then for also that. the top prospects game, yeah, uh, which is in January. So there's this weekend where you're going to see like the future of vancouver hockey uh show up because you've got kent johnson and the columbus blue jackets returning to play the canucks on the 26th and the very next day you're gonna have zach benson and connor bedard playing in the top prospects game two very likely top five picks at the at the next nhl draft um that's gonna be like a sign of just how outrageous the talent coming out of the city in this sport has been over the last couple it's of gonna years. be fun uh we will be back tomorrow to break down the game in edmonton thanks for listening the people show is up next it is the home of the canucks sportsnet 650